Welcome to What Do You Need to Know About God in Today's World? Today I want to discuss what you need to know about God and the Ten Commandments, which America was founded upon and given not to restrict us, but lay the groundwork for our prosperity if we obey. So let's analyze God's commandments found in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. Commandment number one says, I am the Lord your God, capital G. You must not have any other gods, small g before me. A god is anything you put your trust in. Nation times, they worship everything, animals, the sun, the moon, etc. Today's gods are like money, material wealth, fame, other people, Satan, or accomplishments, etc. And because man is a spirit being, he will worship and put trust in something. And if he fails to worship the one true God, then something else will fill their vacuum and void, and it will be a false god. But with this commandment, God is throwing down the gauntlet and saying, I am the omnipotent creator God who alone redeems man and put man in right standing with God. Now, in contrast, we find the unimpressive attributes of idols in Psalms 115, which describes their folly and futility. It says, they have eyes but can't see, hands but can't handle, feet but can't move, mouths but can't speak. That's because idols really are idle, I-D-L-E. So you can call them, they don't answer you, and you have more control and authority over them than they have over you. There is only one true God, Yahweh, and Messiah, Jesus Christ. And like Israel, we're commanded to be monotheistic and worship and trust him who alone is preeminent above all creation and nothing is to rival him. The second commandment says you shall make no idols to worship. In ancient times, they called representations of their gods. But here, God says, don't try to make physical representations of anything on earth or in heaven to worship because they are not God. And as for the one true God, it's impossible to try to replicate him because in John 4, 24, it says God is a spirit which cannot be confined to physical dimensions. And we must worship him in spirit and in truth. Therefore, because we are made in God's image, when men clothe themselves in Christ and pattern their behavior to emulate God's Holy Spirit and character, then we will see a replica of God on earth. So if you desire a replica of God, it's not going to be your money, power, or wealth, but instead your own life carved into the image of God through worship, obedience, and holy character, and idolizing none other God. Commandment number three says, You shall not take the name of the Lord God in vain. God so holy, even his name is holy. And it's so sacred that Jewish people would not even write his name because they didn't want to have to discard it. On the other hand, we today are so frivolous with the name of God, even incorporating it into profanity, using it in disgust, ascribing evil works to it, and many mock God and the Christian religion. The irony is that we want to give honor to men naming buildings, streets, and monuments after them, yet blaspheme the only name that is to be honored, reverenced, and feared. Ephesians 1.21 says, God's name is far above principalities, powers, dominions, and everything in heaven and earth. And while man's name carries no will, weight, or authority, our names don't make demons tremble and obey, nor has authority over all things, but Christ's name does. And to those who mock him, God in Galatians 6-7 warns, You are deceived 
God will not hold anyone guiltless who mocks and defame his name, for he is not one of your impotent idols, and you do so at your own peril, risking damnation. Christ, his name, and everything pertaining to God is to be exalted, while we as men are to be abased, stand in awe, and assign a fearful reverence toward this holy God and hallow his name with unceasing worship as it is hallowed in heaven. The fourth commandment says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. The Hebrew word for Sabbath is Shabbat, meaning rest and refers to the seventh day of the week where God rested from creation. Simply put, Though we are to commune with God daily and though there's been a sharp decline in church attendance and many people only attend church occasionally, our ultimate priority is to be to the God who grants us time for leisure, work, and for worshiping him, who sustains our very existence. And he commands that we are to set aside a day dedicated to worshiping him in assembly with a body of fellow believers in his house. And like King David, who said in Psalm 122, 1, I was glad when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord. We too must zealously reserve time for God daily and enthusiastically attend his house on the Sabbath. Now, the first four commandments deal with man's relationship with God. And when we get that right, we get every other relationship right. But the remaining six deal with man's relationship with man. So commandment number five says, honor your father and your mother. You see, children learn lessons of respect from parents. But many parents today don't invest time in nurturing, training, and parenting, teaching their children manners and respect, but instead choosing to be their children's friend, even allowing them to call them by their first name. When I was growing up, we called our parents and every adult, including the police, ma'am and sir which are expressions of respect. But today also, parents themselves are not respectful, being poor examples for their kids. But proper respect towards our fellow man first begins in the home where children are to respect their parents. And that is because it is our parents who birth us into this world and take care of us from infancy. You see, God expects children to be subject and obedient to parents, even if they've done a poor job of parenting, or the roles have flipped and we now have to take care of our parents. Yet, their position as a parent is always to be highly esteemed. And as parents, you are to be loving and not abusive so as to make respect an easy process for the children. Because this is the only commandment that comes with the promise. It says, honor your parents so that your days may be long on this earth and it may go well with you. Therefore, those who are disrespectful are highly likely to have their days cut short. But God promises long life to those who comply and honor parents, those in authority, the elderly, and our Heavenly Father God. Commandment number six says, you shall not murder or deliberately kill another human being. It doesn't say don't kill because sometimes killing is necessary. For example, when nations have to defend themselves. 
But man is made in God's image. And when you murder another human being, it's like you're killing something that's a part of God. And you're not just taking their physical life. You're taking away their God-given purpose. Instead, we ought to value all human life. This doesn't mean that we should do away with the death penalty. Genesis 9, 6 says that for those who take a life, their life shall be taken. Hence, God authorizes capital punishment as a deterrent against killing. And in Romans 13, God gives government that responsibility and authority. I mean, he will say, well, just take guns away and that will solve the problem. But the root of the problem is deeper because Christ says in Matthew 5, even when you harbor anger and hatred in your heart, you've already committed murder. You see, murder and every sin first begins in the heart of man. So even if you take all the guns away, sinful man will still kill and murder his fellow man in other ways. Because we're dealing with hard issues and the hardness of man's heart. Man needs a new, kinder, gentler heart that only Christ can give that removes the capacity for anger, hatred, animosity, and murder and transforms it into a heart whose every instinct and inclination is to protect and save life. But until all men get on God's operating table for a heart transplant, God still commands us, do not murder, for it is only God, the life giver, who has the authority to terminate life. Commandment number seven says you shall not commit adultery. God has made marriage as a sacred institution and bond between one man and one woman for life. It's like hydrogen and oxygen binding together and becoming water. The Bible describes it as two becoming one flesh. And God says in Proverbs 5.18, you'll be fully committed, faithful, and find joy, fulfillment, and contentment in that one person alone for life. But when you commit adultery, seeking satisfaction from others, you unnaturally break your marital bonds and unite and develop soul ties with someone other than your spouse, joining that person's spirit into your marital relationship, defiling your marriage. Likewise, with spiritual adultery, running after and trying to be satisfied by false gods, you're trying to join ungodly spirits to a holy God, defiling your relationship with him. And so God calls this harlotry. And Matthew 5, 28 says that even if you just look with lust upon another individual, you've already committed adultery in your heart. But marriage is a spiritual concept. And it is a symbolic picture of Christ being satisfied and faithfully married to his one bride, the church forever. And adultery and unfaithfulness ruins and shatters this perfect imagery and picture of Christ's faithfulness to his bride, the church. Therefore, in marriage, fidelity is a requirement and not elective. There is to be no flirting, no flings, no other lovers, no other gods, but a bond that grows stronger and fully committed such that all marriages resembles Christ's fidelity to his bride, finding fulfillment alone in our spouse and in our God. For both are our inseparable forever lovers. So God says, do not commit adultery. Commandment number eight says, you shall not steal. We're not to steal property, ideas, other people, etc. 
Proverbs 6 even says, Even if you're hungry, do not steal because retribution is forthcoming and you will pay sevenfold. Plus, a thief knows that stealing is wrong. That's why they're constantly trying to conceal their face, hiding their identity. But God's heavenly dash cam sees and knows your every act. Also, every thief is robbing himself of the favor of God. Because you cannot accumulate through theft the good things that God has prepared for you. And you're trying to make someone else responsible for your lack when God says we're to work to obtain our desires. But stealing indicates that you don't trust God to provide for your needs when in fact God's name is Jehovah Jireh, meaning the Lord that provides. That's why in Malachi 3, it even says, if you don't pay tithes, you're stealing, not trusting God to provide. Now, today, stealing's being encouraged and decriminalized, and some claim this is reparation, but such theft harms a community, causing increased prices and fleeing businesses and destroying small struggling businesses. So even if our government encourages stealing, it is a crime, and you won't have more but less because you're depriving yourself of access to the main provider God and his rewards and supplies. Thus God commands us, do not steal, defraud, nor cheat, but work to legitimately achieve our desires. In 1 Corinthians 9.8, God says, He will reward your labor and bountifully supply all of your needs. Commandment number nine says, you shall not bear false witness or you shall not lie. Now God's not talking about telling grandma her pudding tastes good when you think it's horrible, but he is talking about dabbling in lies and deceit as you deal with others and having a nature of a lie because that's the nature of Satan. And men are prone to lie because even little children lie. So God admonishes us to always be honest in our dealings with others. On a broader scale, God is commanding us to obey his word, which is the truth. In John 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And John 17 says, God's word is the objective, absolute truth. Today, we want to discard absolute truth and exchange it with personal truths, trying to make personal desires true. When there is no such thing. You may have a set of facts that apply to you, but absolute truth like 2 plus 2 is 4 isn't subjective. It's objective and transcends your circumstances and applies to everyone and never changes. Therefore, when God says a man is a male with XY chromosome and women are females with XX chromosome or that life begins at conception, that's the truth and everything else is a lie. And today our culture is inundated with lies as men try to normalize what God bans and demand uniformity and conformity to their lies. Plus, staple institutions like media and governments will lie to you. And now we have the rise of AI, artificial intelligence, that has the capability to distort reality. Moreover, man's nature is to resist and suppress anything that makes it uncomfortable, and truth can be unpleasant, unpopular, hurt feelings, or people find it offensive and call it hate, while truth instead is a form of tough love that always helps the individual in the end. Therefore, we are in a war for the truth.
Yet in this surreal atmosphere, the only way you can distinguish truth from lies is to avail yourself to the exclusive source of absolute truth, which is God's word and Bible. Then you must take a stand and galvanize behind the truth, because just like darkness cannot suppress the light, nothing can suppress truth. Truth will always stand on its own merits, will never backfire on you, and truth will always prevail. Commandment number 10 says you shall not covet your neighbor's wife nor goods. This includes being envious or desirous of another person's possessions, achievements, or abilities. But envy is toxic and stems from greed and selfishness and leads to your own destruction. That's what happened to Eve who coveted the forbidden fruit, which got her kicked out of the Garden of Eden. It's what happened to King David when he coveted another man's wife, which led to the murder of her husband. And David tragically lost two-thirds of his kingdom. But today we covet trying to keep up with the Joneses, with the Joneses or eyeing someone else's will, demanding that it be taken and dispersed to others. Though no one has the right to forcibly dispossess us of our possessions to gratify our own or someone else's whims and greed. Here's what we need to know about covetousness. First, Ultimately, it's God who blesses others, and he will bless you as you work and labor to prosper. Second, you have no idea what others have to endure to acquire their possessions. Third, you must keep your eyes and attention focused on Christ rather than someone else's possessions. True riches are not material things, but things money can't buy and the spiritual things of God that are theft-proof. Besides, man is not a proprietor of any earthly goods, only a steward, and we will all leave these earthly possessions behind. So if you want to covet something, covet the things of God. God wants us to celebrate other people and their accomplishments and not covet. And he says in Philippians 4.11, learn to be content in whatever state you find yourself, because God is the prized possession and not material wealth or anything else. Stay focused on him who owns it all and dispenses it at his discretion. And 1 Timothy 6.17 says, God will give us richly all things to enjoy. That's the Ten Commandments. And when Jesus came, he condensed all ten into two, saying, Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And second, love your neighbor as yourself, regardless of race, political party, ideology, or religion. These commandments are given that we might maintain a healthy relationship with men and with God. But when you violate these commands, Psalm 51, 4 says, you're not sinning against men, but against God. So when we try to erase these commandments, the results are always disastrous, creating a society with antipathy towards God that's in moral decline, filled with lawlessness, devaluing of life, over-sexualization and fixations, and devolving into anarchy. Yet we are simultaneously trying to build some utopia and perfect world of peace and harmony without God, when instead it is God's commands that are the guideposts to a better world and society. Joshua 1.8 puts it this way, This book of the law, God's word, Bible, commandments, shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein. 
then you shall make your way prosperous and then you shall have good success. Psalm 33, 12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Therefore, let us restore God, the Bible, Christ, the commandments back into our homes, schools, businesses, institutions, families, our personal lives, government, nations, our laws, etc., and obey them without wavering. And then we'll make our way prosperous again. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us your divine commands. Now write your laws in the heart of every man and nation who invites you in as Savior and Lord, that we might prosper for your glory. Amen.